Om Gyana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chokshrun Militang Yena Tazmai Shri Gurave Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasani Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare I sit before you not simply as an individual, tiny soul, part and parcel of Krishna, servitor of his divine Gaishala Prabhupada and the Vaishnavas. I sit before you as a servant of our Guru Parampara, and especially a servant of our founder Acharya, his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. We need millions of servitors of the parampara. It's not just one or two or even a hundred persons job. In ISKCON, we have for many years about a hundred devotees doing the service of spiritual master. But Prabhupada asked for millions of gurus. And that takes preparation in terms of knowledge and service experience, selfless service experience. I also sit before you as an aspiring servant of the ISKCON Melbourne team, which has been blessed with such staunch veteran Devotees, of course, there's His Grace Aniruddha Prabhu and Her Grace Achintarupa Devi Dasi, who have soon it's going to be 50 years that they've been pushing on in Melbourne for the pleasure of Shishi Radhabalu. And then you have such deeply experienced and wise persons such as Bhakta Prabhu and Mathura Manohar Prabhu. Such a team is very special in this world. And I'm very happy in my tiny capacity to try to assist them. And this team is educating hundreds of devotees so that they can become qualified to carry on the mission of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You may think that you're just a tiny devotee. What can you do in terms of carrying on Lord Chaitanya's instruction that wherever you go, whomever you meet, teach the science of Krishna. That is the order of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And especially the order is for everyone, but especially for those who have taken birth in Bharat. <laughs> you can't escape that order. <laughs> of course, bhakti is for everyone. And that was the intent of 
one of the intents of Srila Prabhupada to show that bhakti is meant for the whole world, never mind where you were born, never mind what caste people say you are, what your ethnicity is. Bhakti is the eternal essence of the spirit soul. To carry on Mahaprabhu's mission, we need many representatives. And what I see in this room, due to the work of the ISKCON Melbourne team, I, I see the, the preparation for an extraordinary preaching army. And that preaching army begins with education. You must know the science of Krishna. That is Mahaprabhu's stipulation. Anyone who knows the science of Krishna. There's so much work to be done just in this Melbourne area, metropolitan area alone. And this turnout of a full hall is due to the work of the ISKCON Melbourne team with its veteran leaders. And it's a very humbling experience for me to receive some of the benefits of this team. And I'm happy to try to push on in my tiny capacity in serving Srila Prabhupada. I'm happy to push on in that way here because of such an erudite team. So I'm stressing this point, in case you haven't noticed, that Prabhupada's mission is about teamwork. <laughs> and the more we can plug in as individuals casting in our might, investing our abilities, our resources, the more you'll see the magic of Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement. The Sankirtan movement is togetherness. It's a togetherness movement. Together, glorifying Krishna. Your life can turn out in many unexpected ways in bhakti. You look at the older devotees, the senior Vaishnavas, practically none of us ever expected before coming across Prabhupada's mercy that we'd be doing what we're doing now. <laughs> none of us ever thought that. I remember the first time I saw devotees. It was in a city in the USA, Detroit. I was about to start my first year at university and I was coming out of a music concert and I saw a saffron clad devotee walking barefoot through the city of downtown Detroit. And so involuntarily, how did I see him? Involuntarily, my head was turned. And I fixed my vision on this very exotic sight of someone walking through the crowded CBD of Detroit with, with no shoes, no socks, <laughs> just barefoot. And then I looked, and then my head came back to its normal position. But I always remember that. That was the first time. <laughs> <laughs>
That was 1968. <laughs> the next time was 1969. I would always frequent the part of New York City where 26th Second Avenue is, Shiller Prabhupada's first preaching outpost. For some reason, I was always attracted to that part of the city. And I would just walk around for various entertainments. But I was searching for something. I said, there's something in this section of New York that's for me, I've got to find it. So once I, uh, I was on my way to some place in that section of the city and a chanting party, this is 1969, a chanting party passed my way carrying deities on a palanquin. And of course, I had no idea what I was looking at. <laughs> and as I was watching, Briefly, because I was fixed on my destination, one of the devotees in the chanting party, as they're marching, just sticks a Back to Godhead magazine in my hand and says, give 25 cents. <laughs> That's how much a magazine cost back then. So I, I just reached it, oh, I'll give you 25 cents. That's one coin, a quarter we call it in the USA. Yeah, take a quarter. And, and I got the magazine. And I took it to my destination. And I started reading it. It talked about love of God. I thought, this is very interesting. <laughs> and I took the magazine back to the university, kept it in my room, and that was it for un until 1972, when in May of 72, as many of you have already heard, I was doing my final paper. And I was looking for some relief. And so I and my flatmate decided, let's turn on the TV for some relief. And so we did that. And as I often explain, because we were elitist students, we would never watch TV with the volume turned up. We would always watch TV with the volume turned down, and then we would speculate on what was happening. And that way we could justify our elitist pedigree. <laughs> we were not like ordinary students. <laughs> and suddenly I saw on the TV screen these strangely dressed persons. Ladies wearing saris, and men with shaved heads wearing exotic cloth. Some cloth was white, some cloth was yellow. So I said to my flatmate, look at these aliens. We can't figure out who they are. We gotta turn the volume up. <laughs> and then we heard the devotees explaining their lifestyle, uh, the rules they follow, rising early in the morning. And I, my flatmate and I were astonished. Who would want to live like that? <laughs> and they kept, the devotees kept using the word Ananda over and over again. It's all about Ananda. <laughs> this is the main preaching in the 60s and 70s. Bliss, Ananda. <laughs> so I learned that really quick. And I said to my flatmate, I still remember to this day, 
They talk about Ananda, eh? We'll invite them to one of our parties. We'll show them what Ananda is. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know that eight months later I'd be in the Brahmacharya Ashram. <laughs> this reminds me of Srila Prabhupada, uh, one devotee in Montreal from the early days. Uh, told me personally, he witnessed this. He was in a hotel room with Prabhupada in Montreal. This is around 1968 or 69. And because Prabhupada, the facilities at the temple weren't appropriate for him to stay, so he stayed in a hotel. And he was sitting there and he just started laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. It just went on for five minutes. And so the devotee was just uh, totally astonished. How could anyone spontaneously laugh so hardly for so long without stop? And finally Prabhupada, after five minutes, stopped laughing and then just said, once they come to Krishna, they are caught. <laughs> so I can certainly relate to that. So I joined the Brahmacharya Ashram in February of 1973, and I didn't know it until a few years ago when one of my sisters reminded me that when she was 14, as I made my exit to the Brahmacharya Ashram, uh, she was she was in the same house, my parents' house, and so, but I was 21, she was 14. I totally forgot, because this was like almost 50 years ago at that time that she reminded me. I gave her a Bhagavad Gita to read, and I disappeared into the world of the Hare Krishnas. <laughs> Almost 50 years later, I found out that when she was 14, she had read Prabhupada's Gita. She read it. She didn't know what to make of it as a 14-year-old, but she read the whole thing. So then, when she's 60 years old, retired, and a grandmother, she's taking yoga teacher training in the USA for her health reasons. And she was hearing the usual mm, hodgepodge impersonalist approach that often yoga schools can teach you when it comes to the Vedic knowledge. You see, you choose any portal to the divine that you want. Durga, Shiva, Vishnu, Brahma, Krishna, Radha, whatever you're attracted to, they're all just doorways to the divine. Just pick whatever one you want. So she said, well, what about, I think I'll, I'll choose Krishna. Uh, you say all the doorways are equal? So um, Durga doesn't attract me, Brahma doesn't attract me. I think Krishna, because by the way, I have a brother 
who's a Swami. I haven't seen him for almost 50 years, except rarely. <laughs> but I have a brother who's a Swami. They said, wow, you have a brother who's a Swami? That's deep. You should check it out, you know? Because, you know, he's into Krishna, great. You know, it doesn't matter. Krishna, Durga, Shiva, Brahma, you know, whatever, you know? <laughs> Try to contact him. So she asked my other family members, where is he? <laughs> and my, my, most of my family are very dedicated Christians. Uh, you might say, well, in a very strict way. So suddenly they didn't know where I was. <laughs> And she couldn't get any information out of them, how to find me. <laughs> but she figured it out somehow. And she, be, she began her Krishna consciousness at the age of 60 after receiving a Bhagavad Gita when she was 14 and just going through all the phases of life. So as one devotee here in their offering, in her offering was mentioning, I knew there would be a challenge to her bhakti because she was taking to it so enthusiastically, rising early, chanting japa, reading the books. And then that challenge came because this is the material world. Maya doesn't just stand around and let you go back to Godhead without some resistance. It's the job of Maya to impede your spiritual endeavors. But of course, what does Krishna say in Bhagavad Gita? If you do things Krishna's way, he'll bring you over all these impediments. But we have to accept without being sentimental. The nature of the material world is to be an impediment. It's like the clouds that cover the sunshine. <laughs> we need a more healthy appreciation of what is maya. And that takes education and attentive hearing and chanting and engagement in selfless service. Then you start to see the reality of what you're dealing with. <laughs> So she started her bhakti very enthusiastically. She's reading the books on her own. She didn't have the advantage of being part of a Melbourne bhakti community. She's living on her own in a part of the USA where there's no temple. So, but on her own, she was motivated to do that. And then one month, unexpectedly, suddenly, one of her sons died. Suddenly, just gone, no warning, no, no preliminary symptoms, nothing. Just one day you find out, and mothers can understand this agony. Suddenly, one of your sons is, is gone. That was bad enough, you would think. Two months later, her other son, gone, suddenly, in an unrelated incident. So I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> For a mother, this is insurmountable. But she was so attached to Prabhupada's books and 
she loved the Bhagavatam, that that actually brought her through. She said without bhakti, she would have jumped off a bridge. So this shows you how timing is very important. Timing, patience, persistence, we don't know how things are going to turn out. So many of you who are faithful servitors in this Melbourne community, Krishna can use you as he likes. Don't be so sure you know exactly how everything is going to turn out. <laughs> we need millions of preachers, millions of spiritual masters. So now my sister's name is Leela Kishori Devi Dasi. And it's amazing because I basically had zero contact with her for almost 50 years. <laughs> so, let's quickly survey the whole process of becoming a dedicated servant of Srila Prabhupada and Lord Chaitanya. Mm. First is Shraddha. That Shraddha in its preliminary stages is derived from associating with devotees. Oh, they, it's very wonderful what they're doing. It looks special. I'm interested. That is the tip of the iceberg. That's the beginning of Shraddha. Don't downplay that. <laughs> Just like I totally forgot. I gave my sister a Bhagavad Gita when she was 14. <laughs> and I, I just didn't know about it for almost 50 years. She told me that when she was 15, she even went to the New York temple to see, what is my brother into? And she never told me, of course I, never, I rarely saw her. And she saw Sri Sri Radha Govinda and the impression stayed with her all her life. So in the beginning, there's the preliminary faith, Shraddha. And as you take shelter, of the association of devotees, that preliminary faith, that tip of the iceberg, turns into full-blown shraddha, full-blown faith, in which Krishna Bhakti Kaile Sarva Karma Krittahoy. Chaitanya Charitamrita says that when you fully understand that all purposes in life are accomplished just by serving Krishna. That's full-blown shraddha, full-blown faith, which has its beginning as just the appreciation of devotees. It looks like they're doing something very nice. I'd like to tr see what it's like to be part of that. That little tip develops into full shraddha if we persist through the bhakti process. So as we're progressing through the bhakti process, we begin as kanishta adhikaris, most of us. That means we appreciate so much the deity in the temple. We're not so expert at dealing with different levels of Vaishnavas, but we're deity focused, which is very necessary. Of course, in the Melbourne community, you have so many devotees who want to serve the deity. But you may not know it, but there's some temples 
throughout the world who are begging, please, where are the Kanishtadakaris? <laughs> where are the third class devotees who are just focusing on the deity? We need more of them. <laughs> Kanishtadakari is beginning. And as the Acharyas explain, by your focusing on the deity and not being so inclined for outreach, for preaching, but by focusing on the deity, uh, coming to the temple, serving the deity, gradually you start to make advancement to the point where compassion arises in your heart and you want to give Krishna to others. That's the Madhyam Adhikari. And this is what we're striving to bring devotees. This is the platform we're striving to bring devotees to. Once you're established as a Madhyam Adhikari, you're dedicated to outreach, whether you're a householder or saffron, it doesn't matter. A Madhyamadhikari grieves to see the condition of the world and knows what to do about it. So we need hundreds of you to come to the Madhyamadhikari platform as you become gradually purified. Uttamadhikari, very rare. Prahlad Maharaj is made no distinctions how Haranyakashipu was treating him. Prahlad Maharaj took all of Haranyakashipu's attempts to torture him as, well, my father is just playing with me. This is the way he's showing his affection. <laughs> That's Uttamadakari, which is out of this world. But Prahlad, when he would preach to his schoolmates, he'd come down to the Mudjam platform in order, by, by, by distinguishing between those who are divine and those who are demoniac. <laughs> you can read in the seventh canto, Prahlad talking about uh, instructions to his demoniac schoolmates. <laughs> I remember chapter titles because most persons don't know that Actually, I wrote the chapter titles for Bhagavatam <laughs> as humble servant for Prabhupada, as well as did the table of contents for all the Bhagavatam since fifth canto and most of Chaitanya Charitamrita except for first volume of Adi Leela. So I remember chapter titles. <laughs> this is Prabhupada's mercy on me, giving me a little service for his inconceivable contribution of bhakti literature. So Prahlad Maharaj Uttamadakari is rare. We'll see the expansion of the Krishna consciousness movement just mainly through persons like you who become solidly established on the Madhyamadakari platform. Not just deity focus, which is important, <laughs> but by that purification of deity focus, you start to feel compassion for the whole world and you want to do something about it. And then you'll start to see Lord Chaitanya's prediction become even more fulfilled. 
Sometimes devotees would ask Prabhupada, why didn't Lord Chaitanya spread bhakti all over the world himself? And Prabhupada would answer, he left that service to me. <laughs> so similarly, there's so much more service to be done. Don't think that even though there's such a big gathering here, and I'm humbled by such a big gathering, I think you all came just for the prasad. <laughs> Which is okay. <laughs> Which is more than all right. <laughs> but your, the turnout here is a testimony to the ISKCON Melbourne team of veterans, as I say. And I'm so much appreciative of the opportunity to be the humble servant of such a team with so much experience. They've seen it all. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> they generally know what's going to happen even before it happens. <laughs> and of course, I, there's also Keshava Prabhu, who's a veteran in his own right. <laughs> So this is what you have going for you. <laughs> and their presence makes my service much easier. Because as I often bring up to you, it's, you've heard that it takes a village to raise a child. Similarly, it takes a very comprehensive and expert team to raise a community of devotees. And that's what you see in action here. So I offer my obeisances to the team leaders, especially Aniruddha Prabhu, Achinjarupa Devi Dasi, Makta, Mathura Manohar, and Keshava Prabhu. <laughs> When you're young, you think, oh, it's so much up to me and my efforts. <laughs> but as you mature, you realize that you can do so much by sankirtan, togetherness glorification of Krishna. So yes, we want the youthful energies of those in their 20s and 30s. What did Winston Churchill, not a very savory character actually, especially in regard to his dealings with India, but he made, a very, he made some very telling statements. He said, the problem with youth is that it's wasted on the young. <laughs> Think about that. When you're young, you have the health, you've got the energy, but you're so inexperienced. <laughs> you're so green. <laughs> then, by the time you're old and you have so much experience, but you don't have that same physical energy. <laughs> so, the problem with youth is it's wasted on the young. They don't know what to do with all that energy. They, they haven't learned. They don't have experience. But then when you do have experience and you have learned, you don't have the energy. <laughs> So this is why we need all of you to play your part in becoming servants of the mission of Lord Chaitanya.
So I'm stressing this point on this Vyasa Puja celebration. I'm stressing the point of you become servants of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Yes, relish the service to the deity, and by your doing that, your service will widen in terms of wanting to help all Krishna's parts and parcels. It's not just a few persons, it's not just the job of a few persons. We come in such a glorious line of predecessors. Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarji Thakur, and of course our founder Acharya Srila Prabhupada. So just like when I first saw a devotee in 1968, I never expected I'd be doing what I'm doing simply for so many of you in Krishna's service. If you persist, amazing things will happen. And all that amazement will be due to the mercy of Sri Krishna coming through disciplic succession and especially manifesting as Srila Prabhupada and his humble servants, disciples and grand disciples are pushing on that special mercy. Remember, the spiritual master has no mercy of his own. He's like a, a cloud that takes water from the ocean and then the cloud brings that moisture onto dry land and pours down the rain. But the cloud is getting all the moisture from the ocean. Krishna is the ocean of mercy. And that ocean of mercy comes through parampara. And we have the opportunity to do something extraordinary just by being the servants of that parampara. So again, I thank you all for your words of appreciation. I learn much by listening, <laughs> how I can improve. And I thank again the ISKCON Melbourne team for their seasoned efforts through thick and thin. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.